Hello, I'm Glyn Fussell and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. In this podcast, I get to know creative misfits, underdogs, wild rebels and those people who have stuck one giant middle finger up to society and live life their way. I can't wait to introduce you to some people who embody what it means to be absolute champions. So prepare yourself as we dive in and meet some amazing individuals who have inspired, stood up for change and say, I am here. Today's hero is an absolute visionary. He has natural style and a beady eye for Luke. He is an understated... Who's Luke? A Luke, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he is an understated hive of creativity and without him, some of the iconic images we know and love just wouldn't exist today. He is a powerhouse of fashion genius and his work has been lapped up by icons including Bjork, Jealous, Jamiroquai, Britney and of course one and only Kylie Minogue. To spare his blushes any further, I give you the delectable William Baker. Hi. Hello. How are you, my love? I'm good. I'm blushing. Well, in I've your this is red. your <laughs> this is your first ever podcast, so yeah. I'm very, very excited about that. I mentioned to you before, but one of the reasons I really wanted to get you on when I was a sort of creative, fresh queer on the London scene, I first arrived here. I remember looking at you and looking at the work that you were doing in your career and your position in London, and thinking to myself, "That's what I want. The dream is real, and it can be done." Oh, that's nice. I mean, do you realise that impact that you've not only had with your career, but within the LGBTQ plus world? Because we all come here to these big cities flocking, wanting to have these careers that a lot of the time we don't come from that background, that training. Yeah. And we have to just make it work. We well, I never it. came from... Well, so, so I was ha- never trained. So I'm so intrigued by that because same, I mean, I have two GCSEs and I have no idea what I'm doing until I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So what was your background and how did you get where you are now? Well, Because what was the plan? I didn't really have a plan. I just wanted to get to London when I was in Manchester. I grew up in Manchester. Yeah. It was a, like, a great club scene and loads of the clubs from London came up at Hacienda and stuff. Yeah. And there was a great night called Flesh, which was a big, I remember big well. queer night. Yeah. yeah. So coming to London was always the goal, but I never really knew what I wanted to do because I was never in a kind of fashion designy, drawingy way you know like a kind of art school kind of way I but were guess. you ambitious did you have did you have that fire oh, yeah i love madonna <laughs> <laughs> i was like brought up on madonna so i was like kind of five pound in your back pocket anything's yeah, possible exa- exactly yeah. exactly so i came down and i was gonna do media studies but in the last minute i changed and did theology so i came <laughs> so i came Very down useful. and did a theology degree at uh, king's and while I was at King's, I started working at Vivian Westwood, just as like a Saturday job, really. And from that, I'd started going to the shows in Paris and just met a lot of people in the store. Yeah. And I had a boyfriend that was working in the Westwood studio at the time. And it just opened up a whole kind of world for me, really. I think my kind of access to it all was definitely through being a fan of music, like a pop fan. I grew up, I was a massive Boy George fan. I used to sit outside oh, his too. house. Me too. <laughs> My altar, you sat outside his house. I used to sit outside <laughs> his house, yeah. I was 14 and when I was 14, I kind of jumped on stage at this gig in Stoke on Trout. And now I work with him. So he always That's kind of remembers, remembers that. Part of the reason why when we were started doing this podcast, it was very much about finding those people that people look up to. And a lot of yeah. them, it's really surprising to me. They have no idea. Yeah. They have no idea that they've paved this way for so many 
other people, whether it's, not, you know, not just like queer pop people. stars and... Not just people like you. There's yeah. so many people that we talk to that have created this very unique lane in their career. Yeah. Well, it's funny, like when you were saying in the intro about the kind of influence and stuff, that when I started working with Kylie and like mid noughties I kind of became, like I was kind of like aware that a lot of these fashion kids were really kind of like intrigued by what I did. Not, in, not And I don't mean that in a kind of like big headed way, but like in terms of the, the kind of work, but more that this kind of role had been created in a way. Because back then people didn't, musicians didn't really have creative directors. And I remember going to a meeting with Kylie and it was, what well, are you going to say that I don't? She went, oh, you're just my creative director. See, and she so, just came up with that kind of that's phrase. That's remarkable to me. I actually want to take you back to that chance meeting. You talked about Vivian Westwood before. And that's where you met that's Kylie. That's where I met Kylie, yeah. I often think that you create your own future, but that's such a chance meeting. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like agree with what you're saying. I think it was kind of like fated, I think. It was, it was very, it was really weird because I kind of like... This sounds really mental, but I used to come home from school and watch Neighbours and kind of just like kind of think that there was some kind of connection. I get that. It was just like a kind of feeling. I was never really into the stock acting and Baltimore music or anything. So it wasn't that. It was more of a kind of like personal thing. It was it was really strange. And I think a lot of things in my career have happened, like with Boy George, yeah. it was just saying, that have been very kind of fated, I guess. Like, like Manifestations. All, yeah. Whether I've manifested it myself from, like, the kind of energy and stuff. There must be something in you. I mean, I think when people talk about manifesting, yeah, I'm a working class boy, so that always feels very eat, pray, love, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. But it's something that I've done in my life as well, that I get very single-minded or I feel an energy that I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I almost sometimes park it. Yeah. And I go, it's just going to happen. I was never really ambitious, so in that way, but... People I've spoken to since always say, "Oh my God, you were such an ambitious little fucker when you when you were younger." Do you know what I mean? Wow. And I know, but I didn't think that I was that I was that I was kind of driven because everything just seemed like a journey, really. So talk me through this. You meet Kylie in Vivian yeah. Westwood. You shit your pants. It's exciting, right? Kylie's in Vivian Westwood. I would be yeah. very excited by that. Yeah. And then what happens? You were just drawn to each other and she was excited by your creativity? Yeah. I kind of went, oh my God, I've got loads of ideas for you. Like kind of a hysterical queen yeah. in the shop. And she went, all right, well, let's go for a coffee, which we would never, ever do. Seems, now. I mean, it's so it kind insane. of like weird that we went. It was all very organic, really. Started off her housemate at the time, Katerina Jeb, is a photographer, okay. like a fashion photographer. And at the time, she was taking a lot of Kylie's photos. So we started kind of working together on other shoots and stuff. And that was the first kind of styling that I'd done. And I just used to use stuff from Westwood, really. And my ex-boyfriend, Murray, was a big collector of old kind of like New York fashion and Bieber. And so I just kind of used what I had. But I was never very kind of conceptual about it it was just but that's wild because just used to you... take a bag of dragon kind of <laughs> and hope for the best fling it all up yeah yeah but was there a f that first moment where you went oh i'm very good at this you know where you looked at what you had created with her and went this is what i'm supposed to do yeah i didn't like i think the kind of point where it all came together i think was can't get you out of my head i think mm. when we did those visuals because by that point we'd been together for I think we've been together five years, five, six years. Is that the Miss Jones play? Yeah, play yeah. Suit? Yeah, fantastic. And the video director, Dawn, who did, she'd done a lot of the videos that we did together. Dawn Shadfall, she did Spinning Around. And 
and she's great with female pop stars, kind of making them sexy, but in a yeah. way that is very appealing Sexual. to women as well. And, you know, it's not just kind of like lads mags. Yeah. It's very kind of like fashion based. I think Can't Get It In My Head was the kind of point where we just thought, oh, fuck it, and just do what we want rather than trying to do something that was kind of fashionable at the time. I mean, the song this almost isn't reflects very, that too. It's, yeah. The song still yeah. to this day sounds like nothing else, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, I was a big Doctor Who fan as well. So and a lot of it was like kind of inspired by that really and wow. old sci-fi stuff and Grace Jones and a bit of Mary Magdalene, my theology background. And uh, See, it's all useful. Yeah. It's yeah. all useful. The reason that I did theology really was because I was always really obsessed with religious art which is another reason why I love Madonna, I think. But, you know, religious art and the kind of icons and the way that they're presented was really inspirational to me, I think, and, and was really great in when I was styling and then taking photographs as well, but making someone the kind of hero or the icon. Understanding that now and looking at some of the imagery that you've created, that makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. We cannot not talk about the iconic gold hot pants from the spinning around music video, which not only brought, I feel, Kylie into a new era. Yeah, totally. But they became so viral. And the significance of that is not lost on me. There was no internet at the time. No. And I remember being a young queen. Well, it's still what I'm known for. Just blown away. No. It was everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So did you anticipate that that moment? I'd love to think that you did. No, but it was very... We didn't think it would go like it did, but like it was a very deliberate decision to bring them out of the drawer where they'd been resting for months because it was like, okay, this is spinning around, was her first single on this new, on Parlophone, her new label, after the kind of Impossible Princess yeah. and kind of, that hadn't done so well commercially, yeah. but was critically really well. I think it's some of the best stuff that she, ever, she that ever did. Album. Yeah, But the pressure was really on for spinning around and we were like, okay, we've just really got to sell your ass on the, you did this is like kind of you've got an amazing bum let's just kind of like show it off and kind of it was that deliberate really I mean it relaunched her in a stratospheric way didn't it yeah that's what it felt like for me at the time yeah I mean Dawn Shadforth that we were talking about before shot that video in a very clever kind of way I think it was really beautiful yeah way that was really iconic and you know we were really inspired by Stella McCartney and Phoebe Philo's Chloe campaigns at the time yeah. that were all very kind of golden skin and was it the banana hair and the bananas yeah, yeah the bananas and uh, she's wearing a Chloe top with gold chains with the hot pants in the video and we just wanted to capture this kind of vision of this sexy healthy Australian golden bronzed girl I think that well, you did that for yeah. sure so in that way it was really deliberate I mean the hot pants itself they've been knocking around for years in her who had, who had the hot pants they're in Kylie's drawer <laughs> they're in her, her drawers for kind of years and she'd worn them for this bad taste party no she went, she went as a hooker yeah it was like hookers and <laughs> pimps and hookers I think it was or something and that. she went as this hooker in one of her ratty old what do I have to do wigs and these <laughs> hot pants wow um, I remember being at the meeting with Dawn and Kylie. Dawn was going through the treatment, you know, that she wanted this kind of like Farrah Fawcett kind of bit of a 70s disco vibe. And I remember saying, oh my God, those hot pants. Those hot pants are amazing. And they were ruched and, you know, so they kind of cling to the curves. Yeah. And 
were. Isn't that wild though? The evolution yeah. of a pair of three pound comedy. And they were gold. Hats. I mean, you know, gold as well. That goes back that kind of like religious iconography yeah. thing, and like all those religious icons, they got all the gold flakes off when you walk in them. So that <laughs> that became the look that everybody knows you for. But I want to know what is actually your favorite Kylie look that you created. I think my favorite Kylie looks that that we did really are all the showgirl yeah. looks. Yeah, wow. I think that's kind of what to me she is and was, and. Uh, it was incredible working with Jean-Paul Gaultier and Jean Galliano and even Kylie's mum and Nan <laughs> hand sewing the sequins on the one we did, you know, the pink stripe one we did for a, a show called Intimate and Live. I think all the showgirl outfits are just who she is to me, really. Yeah. And to me, it was the kind of ultimate expression of what she is. I feel like a lot of that work that you've done is, and you talked about working with Dawn there, is about lifting women up. Yeah. You know, I feel that the work that you create is really celebratory of women. Yeah. And especially at that time, you know, it was a time of FHM. There was a lot yeah. of those. It was very magazines. like loaded, wasn't it? Exactly. Like that kind of time. There were so yeah. many magazines. That kind of wasn't a conscious decision. I always saw Kylie as like a start. Like she has this incredible thing that she can just switch on and, becomes this pop star and I was just kind of always trying to celebrate who she was and bring out the best in her it was more organic really than a kind of like conscious business relationship yeah. that I've had with other people when you're just employed as a stylist or you're employed as a creative director or whereas we'd just be sat there and go oh let's do this or let's, let's do that up. or let's dress up yeah and it was Wigs. literally like yeah you know, she's very camp. She's got the Joan Collins kind she's of sense girl. of humour and yeah. loves wigs and heels and all that shit. Yeah. It was just like kind of fun. And it never seemed like a career, really. So what advice would you give to that young queer kid now? Not yourself. You've done yeah. it. So the new queer kid, 19, fresh off a bus from Wigan. He's arrived in London. What? And he just wants to do something creative. I think it's just do it and kind of be yourself and do what you want to do and not be ashamed really I mean I was very kind of you know had lots of gay shame and and stuff from growing up in the 80s I think which did come into play at points like I was thinking oh I can't do that it's too gay and I remember being told by people like people at the record company oh this is too gay or that's too yeah. gay you can't be that I relate to that fully. you can't be so yeah. you know you can't be so gay and like it's funny thinking about it because if you said that now you'd be, be like like outrageous you'd, mm. do you know what I mean but like then I think it was just the way that the music industry was everything for me came together when I did what I kind of wanted to do and wasn't trying to do what I'd been told you know we just kind of like slung it together it's, it's a I think a really brave thing to listen to your instinct solely yeah. and just run into that. Yeah, it takes courage and I think it takes time. Yeah. That didn't happen overnight. We've cut, you know, it took about 5 6 years before we were able to do that, I think. So I think it were both of us it just kind of came together when we just did what we wanted. I feel like you've become such an expert in the work that you've done in creating really strong identities for people. And that's why you work so well with pop stars. Yeah. Can't do it for myself, though. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you. <laughs> Have you almost done that at the detriment of your own character? Because I know for myself that surrounding myself with larger than life, like drag queens and all that, the larger that I make them, 
I often find that I have to shrink myself. Yeah, definitely. I think when you work with someone so closely for such a long time, like Kylie and I worked together for 25 years and, uh, you know, at times I definitely thought I was Kylie. <laughs> you know what I mean? You kind of like live vicariously through. Well, you're creating the image. Because you're creating, yeah, and you're, you're kind of like such a big part of it. And you just sometimes you just the separation kind of like merges. I think especially when you you work like you with performers. Yeah. I think performers are their own breed, you know. I like also recently you've done quite a lot of work post Kylie that's not been about people in the public eye. Yeah. You did a great project that I saw with Igor Stepanov. That was my midlife crisis. Well, no, I really like that. So I'd like to know a bit more about that project and what drew you to it. The project became this book called Book of Igor. There was basically me following <laughs> this 21-year-old model around. We met, and again, I was just instantly, like, attracted to him. But it wasn't, like, a sexual thing. It was... Uh, just gravitated. Yeah, just drawn to him, I think, as creative people are. I guess where the word muse comes from or, yeah. or whatever. But we were just kind of, like, drawn together. And it came about at a point when I was 40 and uh, he was 20. I was kind of, like, really struck by the differences between us both. Because 20 years isn't that long, really. But then he just communicated through his phone and, like, just lived through his phone. I mean, he was, was just glued to his hand the whole time. And he was one of those guys that just takes all their clothes off on Instagram and poses provocatively, but yeah. in a very gay way, but is straight. And I kind of found that really yeah, fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. And he was so kind of unaware of it, but then aware at the same time. It was, like, really... had all these kind of, like, contradictions. So I kind of made a book of photographs of him that I took over a kind of two-year period and uh, we were kind of like inseparable in that two years like we'd travel together and kind of like hang out together and he was like he's completely different to me he's just not like me at all we're kind of like like chalk and cheese but there was this kind of like weird relationship there and I was kind of like really confused and like interested as to what that relationship was you know, I was like, is it is this appropriate? Is like, <laughs> what is this? You know, this kind of like exchange of kind of like creative yeah. energies. I wanted to do something that was really honest. Well, I think the project conveys that though. All of those questions feel very much laid bare in the pictures yeah. with that. And that's, I guess, the exchange that comes when you are trying to create something and you have a yeah. muse. Maybe the, the project has to be the understanding. Yeah, the answer that you need is the, yeah. the picture or the image that you're trying to create. But I was really fascinated by how he could live through his phone. And and I, I mean, in that way, like with language as well, like how he would talk to you, like through phone text, language. you know, through text yeah. and stuff like that. And like kind of lay his soul bare, like through text messages and on the phone. But then when you talk to him, it's like talking to a wall. You mentioned then with that project about how the youth and technology and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And I I feel like that's changed. It's definitely changed the job that I do yeah. and also changed the way that I look at the world and how the world looks at me. Yeah. How has it impacted on your career and, and well, I don't also your that, identity? I don't think that I could have had the career that I've had if I'd started now because ah. I think the internet and... Um, the internet, I sound ancient, but like Instagram and social The World media. Wide Web. So, yeah, the World Wide, yeah. <laughs> uh, like Instagram and stuff like that, kind of like, you know, it's the Warhol, everyone's famous for 15 minutes, yeah. aren't they? And like, no one is special because everybody is special. And I think the point of kind of pop stars 
or the point that I've always been into pop stars is they are special. They're kind of different. They're, you know, they... Untouchable. Yeah, they're untouchable. I mean, I think Kylie was always quite relatable in a way through being an actress, I guess, on Neighbours. Yeah. And, but yeah, definitely like visually untouchable and kind of, they're kind of icons, aren't they? So they're kind of, you put them on a pedestal, so they kind of become superhuman. But now everyone's everywhere and you see like Justin Bieber naked on the beach and there's no kind of mystery or there's nothing hidden. And I think that's a real shame because I think to create a star, you kind of need mystery. And yeah. there's something really seductive about mystery and about what you don't know, because that that kind of area that you don't know is what you project your own kind of fantasies and ideas onto who that person is, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you kind of put your, as as a fan, you put your own thing on, into that kind of pocket and go, that's, that's why I love that person. The way that you think that a pop star is is kind of completely different to what they're actually like. It's all about you, really. I think with that instant gratification, instant reaction to things, yeah. it feels like people are creating personas based on the reaction that they're going to get rather than yeah. what is the natural, authentic kind of drive or artistic vision within them. Well, yeah, and I, I think that that word persona is really correct. I think everyone is a persona now, whereas before, the only people that really had personas were stars or act, you know, actors, yeah. actresses. But now that's what you do, isn't it? You create this persona. You just touched on that because I'm forty-two, about to be 42, when I started becoming successful, complete imposter syndrome. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from my background. Yeah. Unintentionally, my parents had no idea they were doing it, you know, but there's this gay shame that it's just, yeah. it's everywhere you look, you know, it was on TV. If you were going to be gay, you would get AIDS, you would yeah. die. That was what was going to happen for yeah. us, right? And so you take that into your adult life and then all of a sudden something's happened. Even innocent things, like when people go, yeah. when people go, out of jest or even out of affection when they go, oh, shut up, you puff. Yeah. Or like, oh, don't be so gay. Like, and things like that that are meant in the most innocent of ways can be, I think, when they kind of like pile up of over course. the years, like actually do have a real, you know. A massive effect. Yeah. They really do. But I think there's a part of me that feels from feeling all of those things, that's driven me 10 times harder yeah, yeah, exactly. to put, prove myself. Yeah. But it stays with you. I think anyone, any kind of artist or artistic person that doesn't have imposter syndrome is just a twat, basically. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that's kind of what, it's part of it, isn't it? It's like the if you fears. thought what you did was amazing and yeah. like then you'd just be an arsehole. Yeah, I think you're right. I think to push forward, you have to be vulnerable. You have to always be trying to almost see the flaws and push forward. So yeah, because you if you thought yourself. everything was perfect and amazing, then you when the, you just give up and go, well, that was perfect, amazing, and fine. How do you not become a one-trick pony? But, you know, I know as myself, I'm creative. That's the one, one of well, my skill yeah. sets. But I want to do lots of things, you know? Because I think once you get boxed in... Well, I think that's become, the danger, isn't it? That well, you you're highly stylist. How do yeah. you step out of those... Well, those... you don't really. Like, <laughs> I think I've, like... I've all, I mean, I'm just Mr. Gold Hot Pants, aren't I? And I think <laughs> that's way what, more than that. No, but that's how you, that's kind of like how you become like boxed in, as you said. And people are kind of weird. They only like you to do one thing. And I think in the kind of fashion industry as well, and the kind of like creative industry, 
for a kind of industry that is supposedly so creative, they really only like you to do one thing. Like, they can't deal with it if you're a photographer and a stylist at the same time. And a theatre director. And a theatre director, or all these things. And it's like, you know, like you, it's a lot of things. Sometimes you do a bit of production, yeah. sometimes you do a bit of this or that. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I fancy doing a book today. I'll do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you do that. And it's like, some people just can't deal with it at all. It blows people's minds, doesn't yeah. it? It's real. It's, I find it sometimes that. People almost get angry when I'm doing too much. Well, definitely, and it's definitely. I mean, I don't. It's kind of like, can I say it's hurt my career, or it's kind of like shaped my career? I, I think that people that people only th- can only deal with you doing one thing at, at a time. People still go, "Well, what is it you do?" <laughs> Which always makes me always makes me laugh. That's wild. The thing about like only being able to do one thing is really I've had that so much so much it's it's kind of amazing how much how much of a kind of hindrance that is whether it's like people think oh you're kind of like jack of all trades and master of none or like whatever but people definitely like you to do one thing if you're making a living out of anything creative I had someone once say to me in a meeting just do one thing and do it really well and I thought that was the most insulting thing because I thought I'm actually doing quite a few things pretty well you know I think people just have very narrow views and a narrow mindset when they don't come from a background yeah in the way that we think or I don't really I don't really understand where where it comes from to be honest I find it very odd because doing all the doing all those different things seems really natural to me you know it just come it's really just organic and it's just you know i think people have a lot of different kind of creative things in them i think you've managed to do all of them brilliantly i'm so happy that we got you on oh thank you thank you so much for coming on thank you 